During these first few weeks of March, we're having some fresh voices come and bring God's Word to us. And I'm really excited to hear Hannah Steves come. Tonight, she's going to talk about radical gratitude. And I, I got to act like the old, old kaji guy right now. I've known Hannah like, well, I've known Hannah like from day, yeah, I knew Hannah day one, day whatever. So, um, Hannah, I've known you for a long time. I've seen you grow up. So it really is, it really warms my heart to see this next generation of people who are seeking to know God, uh, follow Jesus and love others, um, be used of him. So let's give Hannah a hand. And... Oh, I like this service. It's fun. <laughs> All, so is Brentwood. Brentwood's fun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, well, hello. Everyone, um, it is a privilege to be here speaking to you today, and we are out of February, which I'm really excited about. And I want to, like, how's everyone doing? Not too depressed about the snow or anything like that. Um, I'm very excited to be out of February because to me, February has always been like the darkest, most bleak month of the year, and I find myself in February just defaulting to complaining and whining relentlessly. Yeah, in fact, in the past two months or so, I feel like I've been thrown about a million curveballs. And I say I feel like because it's my personality type to over-exaggerate just a little bit. So it wasn't a million curveballs, but it felt like it to me. And I just want to share um, some of those with you today. Um, the first thing that happened is that there were um, a bunch of snowstorms that completely ruined my plans. And I was talking to Pastor Dave about this um, earlier, and he said, did they ruin your plans or did they ruin your dates? <laughs> because he knows that I'm dating who I consider to be like the best guy on the planet. He's right down there. And he caught me. Okay, they weren't just plans, they were dates, so that was a little disappointing, and everyone else in my family will tell you, no, that was a lot disappointing, and we had to witness those complaints firsthand. So that was the thing that started off. The next thing that happened is um, that I went to Tim Hortons, which is a very typical um, thing to do, very Canadian, and I had a great time, and I came home, and I woke up the next morning, and I was getting ready for my day, and I couldn't find my purse, like, anywhere. So I'm looking around, I'm trying to figure it out, um, can't find it anywhere. Sometimes I leave things in other places, it's a trade I picked up from my mom, so I'm looking for it, couldn't find it anywhere, though. And I'm going, where? And then I had this vision, oh my goodness, it's in a booth in Tim Hortons. And that Tim Hortons is open 24 hours, and I had just come back from traveling, so my passport and every single piece of ID that I had was in that purse. And by God's providence, it was there when I got back. But that was definitely a stressful moment for me that's happened in the past two months. After that, um, because of all the snow that we did get, um, and all the storms that we had, I was actually involved in a very minor car accident and everyone walked away from it fine and everyone's okay, but it was nonetheless a scary experience. And to end it all off, my dad and my brother were on the X team and they were coming back from Laos just a few weeks ago and the flight was delayed and delayed again and we had to sit in the Moncton airport for what felt like forever and if you've ever been in the Moncton airport, you know, you run out of stuff to do in like the first 30 seconds of being there. So 
that resulted in a lot of complaining. And you know what? It's interesting. I can stand here and laugh about this now. But in the moment, those were really hard stress points for me. And I know now in this room, even as I'm speaking, there are people here who are going through things that are a lot more serious um, than what I have just shared with you. The truth is that complaining is our default. And I think about this from a biblical point of view because I am a biblical studies student at Crandall. So please humor me. I'd like to take you on like a nerdy little biblical overview of where I've seen complaining happen in the Bible. And this is a snapshot because it's all over the place. Uh, I think about the Old Testament and how the Israelites complained relentlessly. They complained when God delivered them out of Egypt. They complained about not having the kind of food that they wanted. They complained that God was not coming through on his promises as fast as they wanted him to. They complained about not having a king. And even after Jesus came, the New Testament, there were even more complaints. The disciples complained to Jesus himself about feeding the 5,000 because the Bible says it was late and they were tired. They were just done. Uh, many of the early churches complained about Paul's leadership. So we see that complaining is not new. We're not alone in complaining. But every time I look at these biblical incidents of complaint, I can see that those are dangerous. Because every time it happens, God's people lose sight of who he is and everything that he has done for them. And it's the same with us. Living in a mode where we can't seem to give thanks is a dangerous place for us to be. I know it's dangerous for me. See, complaining may be our default, but we can't stay there. God has called us to a life of faith. And faith in God means that we are filled with radical gratitude. And that's an attitude and an action that we are called to live out. You know, it's actually amazing when I search the Bible to learn how radical this concept of gratitude really is. And today I want to walk you through what's actually um, a couple of my life verses here. It's Philippians 4, 6-7, and it says this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now these verses teach us what it means to have a life that's filled with faith and radical gratitude instead of complaining. So I want to do, um, Dave calls this a deep dive on these verses, and we're going to pull them apart. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving that to you. You can have um, credit for the word deep dive. Um, we're going to pull it apart, and we're going to see what these verses really say, kind of phrase by phrase. So the first one is, don't worry about anything. And right off the bat, that seems pretty crazy, doesn't it? I mean, who does not worry I know I was worried to the point of speechlessness on that car ride to Tim Hortons when I realized I'd left my purse with everything sacred to me um, in there in a 24-hour Tim Hortons. Oh my goodness, and that is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the things that I worry about on a daily basis. Beyond that, I think of stories from our church family. I think of the X team, all those families waiting in the airport for their loved ones to return after the flights kept getting delayed. They were worried. Uh, I work with the youth here in this church. I will tell you, those teenagers are worried about everything. They are worried about what they're going to wear to school tomorrow, and they're worried about um, their friends and their future in university. And even beyond that, 
I think of people in our church family right now who may have friends or family members battling serious sickness and illness, and that can create deep worry, and those worries are hard, and they are scary. And so for Paul here to say, don't worry about anything, it seems a little ludicrous because we worry, and God knows this. It's why in Psalm 139, the author writes, search me and see if I have anxious thoughts, because chances are we do have anxious thoughts. But here's the thing. The more that I worry, the more I complain, and the more I am ungrateful, because worries have captured my focus. I want to think for a minute um, about the Apostle Paul, because he had a lot to worry about. Uh, The short list, he was shipwrecked, he was beat up, he was imprisoned, he was mocked, and he wrote this. Now, this is a man whose focus was clearly on God. It's powerful, isn't it, to think about him bandaging his wounds after he'd been beaten or hiding from someone who might have wanted to kill him and telling his scribe, write this down. Don't worry about anything. See, Paul understood that when we choose to worry, we're choking our faith. Worrying chokes thankfulness because when I'm worried... I'm not giving thanks for anything. I'm complaining. I'm not living with an attitude of radical gratitude. But we can't stay spiritually choked or we'll suffocate. So Paul moves us away from worrying. And he says, instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need. Now, I want to focus on the key phrase here, tell God. Because Christian praying is not like wishing on a star. It's not like trying to find your inner inner center. It's not like getting a three-step self-help book or anything like that. No, when we pray, we are telling God. And we need to remember the God that we pray to. Because the God that we pray to is the God of the universe. He's the same God who in Genesis 1 spoke the world into being. He is the same God who we're told in Isaiah 40 is everlasting, never growing tired or weary, great in power and mighty in strength with no equal. This is the God who in Psalm 104 we're told clothes himself in pure light, who stretches the heavens over us like a tent, who sustains the life of every creature and who crafted each with enormous wisdom. That is the God that we are told to pray to. He is not flimsy. And he does not grow tired, and his power does not run out. That is the God that we're told to pray to. And it says that this is the God that we tell him what we need. And that's powerful because self-loathing can kick in all too easily, and we can start to think, yeah, but is what I need really that important? I think again of the ex-team who just returned from Laos, and my dad and my brother were on that trip, and the people that they saw had significant needs. And even as those stories are starting to organically unfold around our supper table, I can be tempted to think that it's silly to pray something like, God, please help me with this Greek test, because the prof is the hardest marker in Crandall. (laughs) But the thing is, Scripture does not qualify the need. Because what your need is today is what your stress point is today. Philippians 4, 6 says, pray about everything and tell God 
what you need. And if what you need today is clean water and a place to live, great. He loves to hear it. If what you need today is just to pass a test, great. He loves to hear it. Your needs for today are valid in God's sight. Finally, we are given one last instruction here. And this is what I would call the core of these verses. I'm getting excited. It says, thank him for all that he has done. Now we need to catch what's really going on here. It says, thank him. Because Christian thanksgiving has an object. It's rooted in God. Uh, I've been reading this book by Ellen Vaughn. It's time for me to confess because it's called Radical Gratitude. So I shamelessly stole the title from her. Um, Sorry, Ellen Vaughn. But she describes um, how she, after the death of her mother, was living in a spin cycle of spiritual fatigue. And God spoke to her in a funny way. Um, She was helping to set up for a large gathering, and she was in charge of this massive water fountain. And she writes about how she got it set up, and she pressed the on button, and it just kind of like dripped and trickled a little bit, but nothing actually happened. So she's going, what's going on here? So she's trying every single button and knob and hookup to see why this fountain is not bubbling like it should have been. And then someone saw her struggling and said to her as she was struggling with this, you know, it would really help if you plug that in. And things clicked for her in her spiritual life in that moment. The fountain needed to be connected to the source. So how do we connect ourselves to the source? When we're offering thanks to God, that moves us from being dripping with gratitude to being drenched with it. And if we're going to be drenched, we need to be plugged in. And being plugged in is praying about everything and telling him what we need. And when we have this response... As we navigate life and faith together, it's a practical expression of faith to God. We bring him everything, and he's the center of our lives. So we thank him for all that he has done. Let me ask you today, what has God done? That's a big question. But we can divide it into two categories, temporary blessings and eternal riches. Now, when I say temporary blessings, I would qualify those as things like uh, my family, my friends, my health, my home, even something like ice cream on a hot day is a temporary blessing. But the thing is, these are circumstantial things, and circumstances can change, right? The reality is family grows up and moves away. My sister doesn't live with us anymore. She grew up, she moved to Ontario. Our family dynamics have changed significantly. Family does not stay the same. Friends come and go. The friends I have now are not the same friends that I had in high school, and I'm sure the friends that you have now are probably not all the same ones that you had in high school. Uh, As far as my health goes, I can go to bed tonight feeling great and wake up tomorrow with a fever or something much worse. Uh, My home, I'm really hoping I'm not going to be living at home forever, so someday I'll be able to be independent, and I'll move out, and my home will change, and it'll be a sad day. (laughs) Even something 
like ice cream on a hot day. It comes and then it goes. But they are still blessings from God. He sends the rain. He gives us our daily bread. He gives us these wonderful blessings. And we say, thank you, God, for these gifts. But in the end, they are still only temporary. So that's why I'm thankful that there are more than temporary gifts. There are eternal gifts. And this is when we ask ourselves the bigger question. What has God done in Christ What do we have in God loving us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins? We have the deep, lasting, eternal riches of God. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, describes these riches this way. He says, we will get to be with God forever. We will be completely changed to be like Christ We will be freed from all pain and death and suffering. We will be rewarded and reassigned positions of service. And ultimately, we get to share in God's eternal glory. These are the deep, permanent riches found in Christ, regardless of how the blessings fluctuate. How can we not thank God for all that he has done? And it's when we really get this big picture of what God has done for us that we are able to practice radical gratitude. And do you know what the blessing or the payoff or the benefit is of moving into this zone of radical gratitude? Well, it says so in the next part of these verses. It says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. What is God's peace? That's probably the hardest part of these verses, because it says so right there. It exceeds anything that we can understand. But I was talking to Brent Hudson about this, who was the hard Greek prof that I referenced earlier, because I actually did recognize um, the Greek word for peace used here. It's called eirene. And he referred me to some commentaries which explain what this word means in this context. And the commentator shares that Paul seems here to mean either that God is the source and origin of peace, or that he himself is characterized by peace and likely both of these things at once, referring to the tranquility of God's own eternal being, the peace that God himself has, the calm serenity that characterizes God's very nature, and that grateful, trusting Christians are welcome to share. Even if we cannot fully understand it, we can understand that this peace is divine and it is rich. Jesus himself says in John, the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. And what we're told is that his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Please catch here that this is his peace. It's not a self-generated or self-help book kind of peace. Many of us, we try to generate our own peace when things get really rough, don't we? We fill our lives with distractions or worthy projects. Or sometimes we try to numb ourselves with things like entertainment or alcohol or drugs, or sex. But right here, we have the promise of God's divine peace. 
when we follow the path of radical gratitude. And notice what these verses say. His peace will guard our hearts and minds. If our hearts and minds need guarding, what does that imply? It implies that they're going to be under constant attack. We are constantly being attacked by worries, which then destroy our gratitude. See, having God's peace does not mean that all of a sudden our stress and our problems disappear forever. Instead, it means that when we have God's peace, we are living in the center of his will. And when we are in tremendously stressful or painful circumstances, we are guarded by this strong, all-encompassing peace that we can't fully understand, yet is at the core of God's very nature and that he has made available to us. The commentator says that when Paul talks about the heart, he is talking not only um, of the center of one's emotions, but of one's thoughts and moral choice. It is the very essence of who we are. So we're under, under tremendous pressure, and the stakes are very high. Our hearts can fail. Our walks can grow stale, and we can become very spiritually cold. We need God's peace to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And how do we get that peace? It lies in the core phrase of these verses. Thank him for all that he has done. So how can we thank God for all that he has done? Because this is a radical way of looking at gratitude, which leads me from a place of destructive attitudes to Christ-like attitudes and where we become more like Jesus. So we got to start right now. What can we do this week to demonstrate radical gratitude? Maybe you want to read a psalm of praise every day. If you're into technology, you could set an alarm on your phone to remind you to be thankful, or maybe set your alarm in the morning to a song like 10,000 Reasons. Um, you can take a complaint or a worry and turn it into something to give thanks to God for. That's a hard one. Um, to get us started for this week, I would like to try something, and please humor me because I am young and experimenting. <laughs> so I hope it works. Um, when my dad and my brother came home from Laos, they came home with all these different colored strings around their wrists. And I asked them, what is up with these strings on your wrists? And they said, every time we entered a village, the people would tie these strings around our wrists to symbolize asking a blessing for us. And I thought to myself, well, if they can give thanks to their God, and we worship the one true God, why can't we do the same thing and give thanks to the one true God after we've seen everything that he has done for us? So right now I'm going to ask the hospitality team and other uh, volunteers to pass out some strings. Don't do anything with it yet. Um, my brother cut these strings himself, so I know that they're like certifiable, very close to what they actually would have had in Laos strings. Just as we're getting them passed out here. I like, I am so happy for Luke. He stood in the back there and he just cut those strings. They're TJC blue. And some of them are green, I guess, but they're all shades of blue for TJC. This is how we're making it our own original thing. Oh yeah, yep. And this is what I'm going to ask as we come to the close here. We are going to tie these strings, once everyone has theirs, on each other's arms. Don't tie it on your own arm. You're going to find it's very hard to tie it on your arm anyway. And if it's too short, I'm really sorry. We try to get the average wrist length. Um, 
And if you have to do two string ties, that's fine as well. But we're going to tie these strings to each other's arms in just a minute. And we're going to pray um, this prayer of thanksgiving as we do it. It says, I give thanks to God for you and for all that he has done for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Awesome. So we are already practicing radical gratitude. And the payoff of this radical gratitude is the very peace of God. So I'm just going to close here with a prayer of thanksgiving as we finish up tying these strings. Dear God, we give you thanks. There are so many things that we could worry about, but instead let us come to you with our worries and tell you everything that we need. As we step into an attitude of radical gratitude to you, it moves us from a place of complaint to a place of your peace in Christ. Amen.